get enough. They're like, you listen to Look Up Child. And I'm not always one to say that, oh, we uh, need to try and mix with the world, but I think we should be leading the world. God is a creator. He created the world. He created music. So why should not Christians, in the power of the Holy Spirit and with God empowering them, be leading all of arts, leading all of music? I mean, that would be, that's the way it should be. But much of the time, we let the world lead in movies and music and arts or whatever's going on, and we try and catch up and do our own version, rather than being a creator and stepping up and trusting God to help us to be the designer. So I thought that was an awesome song. Today, we're going to be talking about the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission? There's a, yeah, yeah. Make him known. Go and make disciples of all the earth. Do you know that the Great Commission is in essence mentioned in all four Gospels? The Gospels are all the accounts of Jesus and his ministry. And so starting in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, we'll read that first commission that Matthew records. And so Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded, <coughs> commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So that's how uh, Matthew finishes off his gospel, is giving Jesus his last words, commissioning his disciples to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. And I realize as I'm already going, I forgot to open in prayer. So let's pray. God, I just thank you in the name of Jesus that you are here. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us individually. And Lord, it's not about what we know. It's about what we can become. And Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that this wouldn't be things that we learn and just rattle around in our heads. But Lord, it would literally change who we are, that we would be different, that we would become more like Jesus. And Lord, may we change this community because we want to see people know Jesus because we represent him well. And Lord, you've left us with your commission to go and do that. And so Lord, I ask by the power of the Holy Spirit, you anoint us to be able to go out and speak and preach and teach and represent in our character and in our personality who Jesus is. And we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. So that's Matthew's account of the Great Commission. Go, into the, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now let's flip over to Mark chapter 16, verse 14. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I just tag that on there in the end because, gosh, the life of being empowered by the Holy Spirit really actually has some awesome benefits that you can really make a difference in the world. But this is his thing. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What a commission. We're supposed to go out. Same as the last one, Matthew records, go. Mark records, go. Go into the world and do this. What does Luke say? Luke chapter 24, verse 44 to 49. 
He says, and these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. (coughs) And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued, endowed with the power from on high. <laughs> so once again, go. You are supposed to teach people about repentance and remission of sins, and you're supposed to preach it to all nations. Luke and what John, what's interesting about John is he does it in a very different way. He still gives the Great Commission, but he kind of hides it in a story. And so if you read John chapter 21, the computer froze. Close uh, media shout and open it up again, see what happens. Uh, so you might not get the scriptures, but you'll just follow along with me. John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. He kind of hides in the commission as he restores Peter. Peter had denied Jesus three times just a little bit ago, just a few days, to the point that he was so embarrassed he denied him to a little a, a, a servant girl. And now he actually went back to going fishing because he thought, well, I blew it. I'll never be Jesus' disciple. I can't do that. And he's fishing, and Jesus comes to him while he's out on the boat, and he brings in Peter, and he restores him because he denies him three times. <coughs> he asks him three questions. So in John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17, they had eaten breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? <coughs> And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So there's the Great Commission in there again, too. It does, he doesn't say go into all the world. So as he's restoring Peter, because uh, P- Peter denied him three times, how many times does Jesus ask him if he loves him? Three times, right? He's restoring him. He's letting him know. And by the third time, Peter knows it, and he's, he's weeping. And if you actually look at the Greek, he actually uses a different word of love for each layer of it. And the first one's like, do you like me? Do you really like me? And then do you unconditionally love me? Is kind of the, the, the theory. And Peter, by the end of it, is yes, Lord. But what he, what, he, what he answers is not, that's great. No, he says, if you love me, feed my sheep. Because when you have a similar interest as Jesus, you will also, or sorry, when you have the same love as Jesus for him, you will have the same interest as him. And for him... It's feed his sheep. So in all the four Gospels, each time they're closing out, they include this commission to go and to make disciples, to feed the people around you, because Jesus was a servant. So if you were to summarize what the, what the Great Commission is, it's go make God known and his Gospel known through the power of the Holy Spirit. You are, you, you, you are commissioned to do this. And I love in the, in the one gospel it says, but wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. 
one of them actually includes that because the disciples might have been like, I got this. Jesus, you're going, I'm going to go do it. And he's like, no, 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 no. I want you to go do this, but I want you to wait until you actually have the power to do it and wait for my Holy Spirit because once he's with you, he will enable you to do it. Because how, how many times did the disciples blow it when they were with Jesus? All the time. If you listen to Peter, he was hilarious. The way, the way he would go and he was so outspoken and, and his attitude, but he always was blowing it to the point he didn't, was denying him. <coughs> but after he's restored and he gets the power of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't deny Jesus anymore. There's no recording of him denying. He now has the power of the Holy Spirit. He was actually went to the cross and he died. And some people, the account is that he died upside down because he didn't even think he was worthy to die in the same way of Jesus. So wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. You know that the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian today, if you follow Jesus, if you've made him your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit on the inside, and so you are empowered now. <coughs> but don't do it in your own strength. So, the Great Commission, go make God known, make his gospel known through the power of the Holy Spirit. But how do we go? What does that look like? He's commanded us to go. What, do we, what does that look like? Well, how did Jesus demonstrate it? Jesus demonstrated it through discipleship. Jesus picked his disciples and he said, we are going to go change the world. Jesus is our rabbi, our teacher, our leader. This is who we base our lives off of. And so he has given us this example of what it looks like to make disciples. And he used this model of discipleship. So what does it look like? Well, it's through a discipleship model. He instructed us with this method, this mode, and he demonstrated it. So we got to know the Gospels and how Jesus did it if we're to replicate it. And if we're supposed to be uh, uh, making disciples of all nations, that means we better know what our disciple is. How can we know what we're trying to make if we don't know what our disciple is? So number three is, what is a disciple? <coughs> Many of these questions you might not be able to answer now, but I, but I bet you by the end of this you'll be able to answer all these questions no problem. What is a disciple? It's someone who disciplines themselves to be like their master. Do you know if you're like a karate guy or say even like an understudying, uh, that could be the word for a disciple where you submit yourself to your teacher, your master, and you want to learn their techniques, become like them. You go to your teacher because you want to learn their knowledge. That's, all, that's what a disciple is. It's someone who disciplines themselves to be like their master or teacher. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 22, I'm going to flip over there. How's my, oh yeah, we're going. We're going behind me. That's awesome. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, this is how it goes for Jesus when he says, uh, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, and the boat was Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So a disciple, Jesus picks them, and you leave your way of life to closely follow the teacher. These were fishermen. And Jesus says, come, follow me, be like me, Leave your old ways behind and come with me. <coughs> but with discipleship, it's interesting. You got to pick a good teacher. If you because if you want to be a disciple of someone, or you want to disciple someone, 
you, you're essentially replicating who the teacher is, right? And so if you choose a poor teacher, that's going to make you a poor disciple. So there's really only two options. Here's the good news. There's only two options to choose from. And they're kind of, <coughs> the good news is one's really good, but one's really bad. You're either a slave to sin, as in Romans 6 it says. That's, that's your master, is sin, your flesh, your desires. And, and you're like, well, wait, I'm not a slave to sin. Well, think about this. What if I said to you, excuse me, you know, quit smoking. And you're like, oh, I can quit smoking whenever I want. And you're like, well, then quit. And, well, I'll do it. I can't do it right now. Or quit drinking or do this or that, the other thing. And you realize that your life has these foundational blocks that they draw you back to that you have, you're a slave to it. How many people lose their temper over the same thing over and over again? You're a slave to your, to your emotions sometimes. And you're like, I don't want to respond that way, but I have to. Those are your options. You're a slave to sin or to Jesus. That's your other option. There's really only two. You can say, well, I follow Buddha or Krishna or whoever. That's still the same as your impulses. You're not empowered by the Holy Spirit to be any different. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. <laughs> Jesus is calling you to be his disciple. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am a gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So there's a good teacher for you. I've had teachers that pile on homework and ask for extras and can you do this, can you do that, and it, and it burdens you down. We, we, we see a worldly image of Jesus as a teacher, and many times we apply our experiences of how we've known other teachers or those over us and think that Jesus will be the same way. Jesus isn't. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you have two choices. You can be a slave to sin the rest of your life, or you can be a disciple of Jesus and take his life upon you, and he is a good teacher. <coughs> so what is a disciple? Someone who disciplines themselves to be like their master. So pick a good teacher. What makes a good disciple? Does anyone know what, would you, what, what there's really three qualities of what would make a good disciple? You got to know your master. So the first one, A, is you got to know him. You got to know him through his word. He is the very image of the invisible God. In Colossians 1, verse 15, it says that Jesus is the very representation, the physical image of God. And so if you want to get to know your master, your teacher, you got to get to know him through his word is one excellent, excellent way. He teaches how he is, how his personality is, how he engages with the crowd, how he deals with people, how he feeds them, how he heals them, how he sets them as priority you got to get to know that. How can you say that I want to be a disciple of this person and I will do everything you want to do, but I don't know anything about you? The first thing you got to do to be a good disciple is you got to get to know him, and you can start in his word. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, the word was God. So you can know Jesus because he is literally the word. So you read his word, you know Jesus, you know Jesus, you know his word. You get to know him by his spirit who lives in you. This is B. Be spirit-filled. In John chapter 16, verses 13 to 15, this is really important. 
You get to know him through his word, and you got to get to know him through his spirit. Because there's two aspects of being a worshiper of Jesus, and it's a worshiper of him in spirit and in truth. So you got to know him by spirit too, not just the truth. So in John 16, verses 13 to 15, it says, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, for he will... Not, not me, sorry. <laughs> this is Jesus speaking. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare to you all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So be spirit-filled. You know him through his word, but you also know him through his spirit. His very voice is empowering. You, you know there's, uh, there's three voices you hear all the time. Yourself, the Holy Spirit, and the adversary. And they're always combat, combating for control over your, over your mind. But you've got to know the difference between each. And it says to be spirit-filled, and we need to worship him in spirit and truth. So you need to get to know this Holy Spirit, this power that lives in you. And how do you recognize his voice? Well, a good way to start is back to the first one. Know his word. Because he won't contradict who God is. He is God. So if you know how God operates, how he talks, what he sounds like, when, he, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, be like, I recognize that voice. If you ever read an author and you're like, man, this author is really good. I like the way he explains this and that sort of thing. And then you're t- talking to someone later and you're like, you sound like that author. And they'd be like, I am that author. And you'd be like, I knew that because I recognize the way you talk, the way you behave, the what you illustrate, the examples you use. And so that's a good way to get to know his spirit. But you've got to know him if you're going to be his disciple. Without his spirit, we cannot be a true worshiper because we're a worshiper in spirit and truth. And what is truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So not only is Jesus the word, he's the truth. And so you've got to both know him and his spirit to be a good disciple. Number C, number C, is that a thing? <laughs> Worship him for who he is. You got, once you get to know him, you realize that who he is is very different than the way the world sees him. Do you know that a lot of people are cool with Jesus? When Jesus is the uh, moral, the moral teacher, he kind of teaches you good things, you know, the judge not Jesus. Everyone likes the judge not Jesus. Who, how many non-Christians always quote to you like, oh, you can't judge me. You're, Jesus said judge not. You know, the nice guy Jesus, motivational speaker Jesus. They like to follow the ways of Jesus. That Jesus is easy to be pals with, but that is not the real Jesus. Once you get to know him in his word and in his spirit, you will know that Jesus is not some sad, poor, wannabe friend looking for your acceptance. He is the sovereign Lord and King, worthy of everyone's praise. There's absolutely no perspective once you get to know him and his place and his sacrifice that your worship can be anything but wholehearted. And you can realize and put him in the place that he truly deserves, which is higher than you can even imagine at this time. He is the very image of the invisible God. So once you get to know him and you get to know what he looks like, how he talks, then you can worship him for who he is. I need some more water before I cough up something. Please pray for me, by the way. I've been sick for over a month, and this cough has been coming and going, and I can't sleep because it wakes me up. 
So every time you hear, have a cough, be like, oh yeah, I coughed. Pray for Steve that God would uh, get him restored because it's been pretty exhausting. Thank you for that. I know it a, sounds a little selfish, but I'm not doing well. <laughs> <coughs> D, what makes a good disciple? Once you know him, then you need to be obedient to him. You need to follow him. Have you ever guys heard of the teacher Ray Vanderland? Have you guys heard that guy? He has this series called In the Dust of the Rabbi. And what he's talking about is that you are following your teacher so closely and you get to know Jesus so well that as you're following him and walking with him that you are literally coated in his dust. That's close. I like that. I like that when he says, in the dust of the rabbi. Do not keep your distance. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you say you know who he is, you know him through your spirit, you're worshiping him for who he really is, that includes being obedient. There's no disconnect between hearing the truth and knowing about him. Well, there is, but there shouldn't be. And obedience. It's actually not even new to us in the New Testament where it says, if you love me, keep my commandments. But it was the original, original declaration to the Israelites, his first disciples as a nation was the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. This is called the Shema. The Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Thank you, I'm all out of water. The Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Put up some scripture in your home. Watch that change the atmosphere of your home. As you, as you uh, remember to read a scripture, how that changes you. But this is all a biblical thing. And so that word, it's interesting. In English, it doesn't do it justice to the word hero Israel. Because that word here is actually listen and obey. It's combined together. When you, when you read the word um, here, uh, Shema or hero Israel, it's actually the same thing as obedience combined with listening but we can only translate it as the thing so we say here but if we were to be really correct that word, the way the word is listen and have an action in response and so that was right from the beginning is that we are asked to follow god's ways how many people know that god loves you you've heard this before you know god loves you right so then why do we think we can do it on our own without him we, we know that he loves you, but then he, he asks us to do something, and we're like, yeah, you love me, but obviously in our heart there's some sort of disconnect because we think that by doing that, that's not the be in our best interest. We're wrong. We're lying to ourselves. But there's an obedient aspect. Obedience is closely tied to servanthood. What did Jesus come to do? To seek and to save that which is lost. We're lost. That was Jesus' purpose. He came to serve. He washed his disciples' feet. 
We're talking about the king of kings who spoke to creation and creation obeys his voice. That When he spoke to a storm, it stopped. And we are but a speck in the universe. And he said to himself, I want to show them that I'm here to serve you and I'm here for you. I'm going to wash your dirty feet. After going hiking for miles and miles in dust and dirt, they didn't have shoes like we did with socks. Even then, still terrible. This is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords exemplifying servanthood, and we're supposed to be his disciple? It's closely linked to serving. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing, and if he saw the Father being a servant, that means part of being a servant is being obedient to him and serving others. That's why it's closely tied to Peter when he says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, then feed my sheep. It goes hand in hand. There was no self-promotion. There was no self-serving. Jesus didn't go on, uh, you know, self-improvement kicks. He went on you improvement kicks. And he, went, and he went on binges with the people where he actually had to withdraw and find time for himself so he could even recover because he wanted to be with you so much. And that's our example as our rabbi. If we want to be a good disciple, we want to be like our teacher, we need to be others-focused. And that's, that's a big part of the obedience. And then E... We need to represent or articulate. What a great word, articulate. Basically, we know him, we worship him for who he is, and then we obey what we know and what we see and what he asks us to. And what that looks like is how we represent and articulate in our character and who we are. The word represent, break it down. It's represent. When they look at you, if you represent Jesus, they should look at you and think, you are representing Jesus to me when I look at you. We're supposed to be able to show others what he's like, and that even includes articulate to others effectively in a method appropriate to them. And so sometimes Jesus, when he was talking with the Pharisees, did he talk a little different than he did with, say, the woman at the well or the crowds? Jesus knew his audience, and so we are asked to represent him and that means we need to know how to engage with others. We should be able to articulate to others in an effective method that is appropriate to the audience. And that's, that's good discipleship, is that you know him, you obey him, and then you represent him. Now, can I make a caution here about discipleship? I'm going to make a little caution here. If you, and I'm calling all of you, because Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. Make God known, right? So this is your duty in the end. But I've got to caution you right now. Discipleship makes disciples like their teacher. If you go out into the world and you're discipling people, and you're, cre and you're teaching people and representing Jesus, but you're representing a poor version of him, you don't want to make a copy machine of re reproducing the same thing, right? You, don't, you want to always be pointing to Jesus, even in your discipleship. Now, many of us will say, well, I'm not ready then for discipleship because I got so many problems, I don't want anyone to look like me. No, the whole point is that you're flawed, so you're always pointing to Jesus to those that, are, that you're working with. There's no excuse because it's not like, well, I, I don't have it together. No, but you know who does, and you're not pointing them to you, you're pointing them to him. So your goal is not, well, I'm not ready, so I can't do this. No, he's ready, and you, all you are is spending time with this person, making a disciple, teaching them, not your disciple per se, you're still trying to make them Jesus' disciple. So you're always pointing to God 
and to Jesus. Here's some practical examples. I love it. Pray and go. <laughs> Here's a practical way of making some disciples. The first step I'd say, huh? if we're all honest with ourselves, I think a lot of us would say, you know, I don't really have an attitude to make a disciple, to make God known to others. I, 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 I kind of have a disconnect or time is an issue, but really time isn't an issue, your priorities are. And so the first step is pray. Say, God, change my heart. Allow me to see people the way you see them, because if I saw them in the same eyes and the same light that you did, there's absolutely no way I could walk past that person the way I did or say to them the things that I said if I saw them the way you did. So start there. God's a gentleman. He's not going to force you to change your character, but you can start by saying, hey, God, I would like to see people the way you see them. And then you'll watch your heart change. And so pray for that, and then pray that, say, God, you, Jesus only, it took 12. That's God himself. Yeah, there's a connection that he took 12 because of the 12 tribes of Israel, but 12 is a lot. Start with one. <laughs> Ask God to highlight one person in your life, a family member, a spouse even. If you're the spiritual head of your house and you know that your wife or your children are far from that, there's your disciples to start with right there. But ask God to place on your heart one person, or if you're the father or the mother of the family that you would look to disciple your kids, but ask the Lord to highlight there and start. Be obedient to what he has given you, whether it be small or big. And God will give you someone. Say, I live alone, I'm a student, I'm by myself, you know, I don't, I don't have a busy schedule. God will make time for one. I promise you. So ask God to point someone out in your life that is in your circle. And what are you going to do? Well, you go. You teach them the same principles I, I, I'm teaching you. What were the principles of a good disciple? What was the first one? First one was to know, know him, right? Know him through his what? And? Yeah, know him through his word and his spirit. What's the next one? I have to peek. <laughs> then become a worshiper. Worship him because you now know him for the way he is supposed to be. And that is a lifestyle of giving your life to God. Then the next one is, I already heard it earlier, obedience. Know him. Worship him. Be obedient. And then the last one, represent. Articulate. That's what you're teaching them. Do you know that everyone has these principles? You can think to yourself, man, I'm not ready. I don't know all this stuff in the Bible. I can't even find where Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John is. It doesn't matter. You can still spend time with someone and say, I want you to know him. Let's start there. I, and, and give examples in your life. Maybe just flop open your Bible for a change and say, here, let, this is his word. It says it's him. Let's get to know you. It's real simple. Get to know him. Teach them. Worship him together. Obey him together. And then represent him to others around you. It's real simple. There's some resources. You're like, well, I don't know where to begin. Maybe, maybe I should start with a book of the Bible or anything. Do you know there's tons of resources out there for you? I'm talking tons. We get magazines sent to this church by all these different companies, and they have devotional upon book, upon course, upon conference that is coming up. That there is no lack of resources, but I wanted to give you some to start with that I thought would be pretty practical. 
Have you guys ever heard of the Read Scripture app? Okay, so the Bible Project, have you heard of those videos? Okay, so Francis Chan connected with the Bible Project a while ago and said, I love the way you're explaining the Bible through this, these videos, and I want you to somehow, with me, work out this uh, app. So everyone on their phone or on their computer can watch the, these videos, which explains and helps you understand the scripture you're about to read, and then it has questions at the end. How many of you guys know how to watch a video? <laughs> right? How many of you guys know how to read? You're qualified to go through the read scripture with someone. You watch the video, they beautifully animate and illustrate the book of the Bible or the principle about holiness or covenant or whatever it is, and you get a chance to see it, and then it gives you the scriptures to read through, and then it has questions at the end. I highly recommend that. That's a good one. You want to start simpler? Guess what we have in the back of the church, and we get them every month? Daily breads. You guys know the daily breads? They're those little booklets. It's a free app online. You can do it too through the app where you can actually have the booklet. It's a, it's a page of probably about that big. And you read a scripture, has a little story, and some questions at the end. Do you know that's what we do for our men's Bible study most of the time during the week? Because it's powerful. It just gets you in the Word. It gets the discussion going. And that is a great way to start teaching and knowing God and introducing others to God. So Daily Bread's a great one. If you want to go online, I'm sure you can find a men's, woman's devotional. But there's also things here going on at the church. We have our midweek Bible study. There's an introduction class. It's literally foundations. It's called the Purple Book, and they're working through, and they teach you about discipleship making in there. There's uh, your pastors. Pastor Daniel has um, probably some of the greatest experience in the uh, and, and being out in the world and making disciples with different people groups and everything. And he is a wealth of resource that you could come and stop by and be like, Daniel, where do I go from here? And so there's a ton of resources and practical examples out there, but I want you to know that this is your commission. When God comes and talks and, and, you're, sta and you're standing there face to face with your Lord and Savior, you're not going to be sitting to yourself and being like, yeah, well, yeah, God, Steve didn't really teach me great things about discipleship, so I wasn't ready to do it. You know, he's going to look at you and, you, and, and all your excuses are going to be stripped away and he's going to say, it's all there for you. I want you to go and do this and if he wants you to do it, he'll empower you to do it. And so there's resources out there for you, but have it on your heart. Start with a prayer. God, help me to see people the way you see them, worthy of dying and giving my life for. There's some people that I look at and I'm like, I don't think I'd want to die for you but he sees them a different way. And so you got to ask him to start there. And then ask for that one person or, that, or your children or your spouse or whoever it might be that you can start getting to know God. Maybe not even from a reference of I'm the teacher and you're the student, but let's get to know him together. Let's worship him together. Let's obey him together. And watch, and I think Pastor Daniel showed that where you, you have the multiplication, even just two people a year, right? And the whole world, billions of people would know in just a few years, starting with one person who did two people a year, right? That means we're not doing it. So let's, let's have a heart. Ask God to change our heart to see people the way he does. Let's pray. And worship team, let's come up with.